another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson, and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this podcast greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and benefit. We hope that you'll enjoy today's episode. Well, once again, we're here around the table. This is a Tuesday. Um, This is one of our long recording days, um, and we are having some great conversation. I'm joined again this week with Jason Rowland and Philip Castleton. We've had a great um, past weekend of of worship with our church family. Um, Lots of things have been happening um, in our our culture and in the news, um, and and we've been having, um, I think, some helpful discussion. And this episode today is going to uh, follow a little bit on the heels of last week's episode, but I think it's going to take a turn in, in one direction. Um, but as we spoke last week to the tragic situ- situation of the Uvalde shooting, we want to um, speak today a little bit on a topic of guilt, specifically as it as it is involved in a believer's life. Um, is there a a real guilt that um, that we should lean into and deal with, or is there some um, misconceptions of guilt, some false guilt, if you want to label it that. Jason, I want to pass it to you this morning to uh, just to kind of get our conversation going. We're going to talk about this topic of guilt, specifically in the life of a believer. The episode that we did last week was an episode, as you said, that uh, dealt with the shooting in Uvalde. One of the things that we said in that episode from the text that we were using, Luke chapter 13, uh, actually the last part of chapter 12 through 13.5, we were talking about not assigning guilt or innocence to the victims of the shooting. And we, we mentioned guilt in the context of the fact that what Jesus teaches in Luke 13 is that because we are all guilty, that is guilty uh, as sinful men and sinful women, that we need to settle now. Now's the time to repent and come before God uh, as a compassionate, merciful God rather than the judge that he will ultimately be when he judges all sin and evil. So uh, bouncing then off of that, one of the things that I mentioned in our episode last week also was the idea that there perhaps will be those who were involved in that shooting that will feel guilt They will feel guilt because they escaped or perhaps law enforcement will feel guilty about the the lag time that apparently seems to be there. They're investigating all that now. But my point was to to recognize that guilt is a true reality in all people's lives. And we deal with it in different ways and we think about it perhaps um, in a uh, spiritual way or in a mental way. Uh, consequential, uh, even conscience way. Uh, and so how do we, does the Bible address guilt in particular? How do we think about it? And what does it say to us about how we ought to feel guilt or, or false guilt, as you said, or how do we feel uh, true guilt and, 
is there really a distinction there? Yeah, and so we're going to pass it to Philip. Philip's got a text that speaks directly to this issue, and we're going to have him read it, um, and he's going to expound on that. But what we are dealing with at the core is sin's presence in mankind. And as we are believer, uh, for believers, the power and the presence of sin still remains to a degree, one degree or another, some stronger, some less. Um, and, and we won't be rid of sin completely until the coming of our Lord as he makes um, all things new, right? And we have our new bodies. And so we want to just remind that's what we're talking about. This is a, this is a reality that we're going to deal with. Guilt is the effect of sin, um, and our conscience and part of us being made in the image of God. So Philip, yeah. would you, would you kick us off with our text? I today? will. Well, a couple of things before I read it is uh, we do want to make clear that though all guilt is ultimately, um, related in some way to sin, as you just said, there are places in which, as Jason was trying to make clear, uh, and, and we might make it another, uh, podcast at some point, there are times when we might feel guilt, though it's related ultimately to sin, not our own sin. It's just a consequence of sin in general, in which time guilt is uh, maybe inappropriate for us to feel, right? right. Uh, there is a, there is, that is the, the case. What we're trying to deal with today is not that situation, yes, but a situation yeah. in which um, the guilt that is ours is legitimate because yeah. it's due to our sin. That's a good clarification. And, yes. and, I, and I only you make that because um, I, we want to be clear that there is the, that distinction to be made, right? It's always the result of sin, sure. but sometimes it's appropriate for us and sometimes it's not. Yes. And the reason this is so important is because our culture screams, teaches you know, uh, us regularly that all guilt is bad, right? That all shame is 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 bad that we shouldn't feel shame we shouldn't feel guilt we shouldn't have um, these things at all avoid it as much as you can yeah Yeah. run from it avoid it pass it off get rid of it and the the truth of the matter is the scripture tells us something very different that's true and and the reason there's no guilt uh, from our culture is because they've rejected the idea of god and sin yes yes there is no god to answer to and there is no concept as sin it's a rel it's the product of a relativistic Morality system. Well, you remove the creature-creator cre- distinctive, yep. and you make men not culpable for anything. That's right. So shame and to guilt each are his own. Yes, to each her own. You do you, right? This, right. This is the this is the byproduct of, um, well, the the that's the philosophy of our the sexual secular world. Yeah. Right. It's a zeitgeist, right? Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. So you re- remove the accountability that no every accountability. person has before God, right. mm. and then you remove the idea of eternality, so that if this is all there is in life, right. live as this is the hedonistic. Live as live as live as wild and free as you want, with we, no guilt. With no guilt. Actually, before I was going to read two Corinthians seven, but before we get there, can I, I want to sure, make? A, I want to look yeah. at another text real quickly. Ezekiel thirty six says this, and and most of us, if we're familiar at all with new covenant promises, we have this wonderful text here where Jesus has promised to take and renew his people with a, with a new spirit, a new heart. And look what it says. Ezekiel thirty six twenty five says this: I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey all my rules. We all know that part of it, right? That the spirit is going to do a work in believers. God is going to give the spirit who's going to give them a supple, malleable, affectionate heart, which now loves the things of God and hates the things that that it used to love, and is now willing and able to walk within God's established rules, right? Amen. But look what it says just a little further, and I'll skip down, uh, but in verse 31, actually verse 30, I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then, again, this is one of the benefits of having the Spirit in our hearts, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. One of the things that the Spirit does in a believer is give him honest shame and honest guilt for his sin. We have tried to remove that. Even in Christian settings, we have allowed cultural psychiatry and psychology to inform the way that we approach these things. And you'll hear sermon after sermon after sermon that says that guilt you feel is wrong. And according to Ezekiel 36, if I've put my spirit in you, one of the things you're going to do is have a new heart, new affections, and a a reality, a guilt, and a loathsomeness for yourself and the remaining corruption that remains within you. That's right. right? Let me let me draw before we go to Second Corinthians seven. Let me draw one clear distinction. Our culture teaches all of us, or attempts to teach all of us, that we are the victims yes. of some outside circumstance. Not but the in perpetrator. reality, we are the perpetrator. <laughs> right. So this is the antithesis that culture and God. Um, well, we could call it. Christ and culture, antithesis, whatever you want to label it as, but um, you cannot marry the two. Right. These are at odds. It's oil and water. Right. So we have the one thing, you're either a victim or you're a perpetrator, but in this, se- in this sense, you can't be both at the same time. Yeah. And so let's hear what God's Word well, teaches us well, about. You know why this is so important? I had a conversation with one of uh, the people at our church last week. He mm. calls me. Um, he has, um, in his, in his past, before he was a Christian, he, he struggled with, um, with alcohol, right? And, um, and so he still uh, sometimes attends these, um, uh, recovery meetings and stuff like that, trying to be a help, trying to be a good, um, um, uh, mentor. counselor and mentor, sure. you know, to yeah. others. And I guess a man had come in last week, was confessing the guilt and shame he felt because of his sin and, the counselors there tried to um, tried to tell that man that shame and that guilt is not is not legitimate. You shouldn't feel that. Yeah. And the man in our in our church said, uh, "Excuse me, no, it is appropriate. He has sinned against God, right? He has done the wrong thing." Praise it's the a, Lord, he spoke up. That's right. It is appropriate. But then he called yes. me, not sure of how to think about it. Sure. Said, Philip. Well, let's talk about this. And, and, I, and I affirmed him, right? No, it is appropriate that we should feel guilt and shame for our sin. That yes. is true. Yes. Um, and it doesn't go away necessarily. In fact, it should be heightened in some, in some real sense mm. when I become a Christian. Yes. Because then I become more aware of how truly rotten and, yeah. and, 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 and sinful I am. Yeah, John Owen, um, a listener, if you're not familiar with the Puritan paperbacks, um, John Owen's small book, The Mortification of Sin, 
speaks directly to this, and I believe Philip, um, he's got one as well. I'm, uh, what is the title of this? Stop Loving the World by William Greenhill. These are some fantastic resources um, as you consider this concept. But Philip, what Philip just said is so important for us as believers to, to lean into is that, again, sin's presence is not going to go away until all things have been consummated in Christ and the new heavens and new earth come. We will still deal with that. And this guilt presses us into our sanctification and our pursuit of holiness and godliness right. and being conformed to the image of Christ. So go ahead. I know we... No, no, go ahead, Jason. You got well, well I, I just wanted, a second. Sure, sure. I, I wanted to, to bounce off of what you were saying because I, was, I had this in my mind as well. Sure. Uh, we need to recognize, too, that the, the guilt that we would feel that would be present in us because the Holy Spirit dwells us and that loathsomeness that we feel... Yeah. Uh, that's not where the Holy Spirit would want to leave you. No, right? of course so not. The Holy yes. Spirit would would bring that to you uh, so that there would be repentance, of there course. would be brokenness, yes. there would be a, a, a understanding of that sin, and now what do I do in my sanctification? Well, that's a means of sanctification. Yes, that's right. yes. Yeah. right. Uh, what do I do so, yes. to, to, to follow up now with this feeling? Mm. And so one of the things that I've always said, and I, and I don't know that, this is a, a good way to say it, uh, so you can help me. Uh, but I've always said to people who have perhaps have come to me with more of a, a counseling situation about guilt, I've always said that guilt, and we apply false guilt to ourselves sometimes, guilt always tears you down. It leads you to this self-hate. It leads you to this condemnation of uh then perhaps even you turn to uh, worldly means to somehow s- s- find solace, right? Well, y- yes and no. If if it's godly grief, the answer is no. If right. it's worldly grief, the answer is exactly. yes. Exactly, yes. So I've tried to make that distinction right. that, that a, a worldly grief will can cause you to do that. Not right. every time. But yeah. then a godly grief will always build you up. Right. It will build you back up. Yes. The problem is yes. there's no healthy distinctions being made, especially in our culture. That's and right. I'll tell you this, l- l- before I get to this text, another thing, another thought. We have so removed the, the, the notion of shame that we have, we literally have a shameless yes. culture. Yes. Do you know why girls wear or don't wear the clothes that they don't wear? Yes. Out in culture? Because we've removed the shame. Yes. Yep. Do you know why yep. that um, I was at the bank the other day and we got to talking about something and this lady thought it appropriate to tell me that her son was a homosexual. And I, and I almost responded to her, I'm so sorry. I knew that would drum up a, a response, a, a probably not a, a kind one. But, but somewhere along the way, we've removed the shame mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. It should be shameful that your son would act in such a rebellious way against his maker. But instead, we laud it or we, um, we, just talk, it. Yeah, we talk about it as if there's no consequence at all. Well, and the th- yeah. fact of the matter is, is we've removed shame in such a way that it doesn't even have the benefit that it used to have of curbing certain behaviors. Yeah. The truth of the matter is there's always been homosexuals, for example, in, in our culture, but they knew it was shameful and they did it behind closed doors, right? But we removed the shame and now what do we have? We have um, we have pride rallies, right? We ha- Well, it, it, 
this episode is airing uh, in Pride Month. Um, this is the second week of Pride Month, as you're going to be listening to this episode and following. Um, we celebrate as a country the, um, the rebellion, the sexual rebellion against God's design and God's created order. And we laud it, we praise yeah. it, and we shame others as a country who disagree with the rebellion against yes. God. Right. So the yeah. shame has been flipped. It has. We have an upside-down morality. It, if we as a, a believers recognize that that particular type of guilt and shame is healthy and good, we would then start looking at our children, our neighbors, our friends, and when they laud sinful behaviors, we would, um, in, in as loving a way as possible, reinstitute, if you would, what should be shameful feelings about those behaviors. We have done no favors to our culture by removing that from the conversation. So, and and we've done it. I mean, man, we could really get off chasing a rabbit here, and I think we might have. But we've even done it in in the Southern Baptist Convention when they were talking. I heard a thing yesterday, a guy on the radio talking about abortion, and he said, the main thing that we need to do is tell mothers who are having an abortion that forgiveness is available. And I'm going, that's amazing, because it seems to me that the main thing we should be telling them is not forgiveness is available, but that judgment is imminent. Right? Judgment is imminent because what you've done is violate God. Forgiveness is available to the repentant. That's right. But if judgment is available upon all the unrepentant. We don't need to be um, promising forgiveness to the unrepentant. That's right. That's a scary place to be. Yes. But that's what, because what we've done is what we don't want that woman to feel by any means for any shame or guilt for the action she's had. Some kind of victimization. Yes. That's what I said just a minute ago. We have an upside down morality right now. Right. And um, the truth of the matter is, I'm going to read this text, yeah. but the point of this we're text... We're going to get there. <laughs> the point of this text is, these people had done wrong. Yes. These people, Paul had had to write a letter um, because these people had taken in false teachers yes. who had violated and spoken against Paul, and they had sided with these false teachers, hadn't stood up for Paul, and Paul had to write a severe, harsh letter uh, condemning these people and their behaviors, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Paul is now responding to... What was a wonderful result of that? He, he, what he did was exactly what we're talking about. He reinstituted the shame and the guilt of their sin upon That's them right. and said, you shouldn't be happy about this. Yes. You should be shamed. In fact, he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when they had accepted um, an unbe- um, um, mm-hmm. someone who was committing adultery. Yes. He says, why do you, you celebrate this as if being tolerant of sinful th- things is a good thing? And I'm telling you, it's to your shame. Yes. Right? Yes. The same kind of thing here. He has written them a letter that has said, shame on you. Yep. And it worked. It did. God did a work in them. That's right. And he transforms them. And and, and let let me read the That's the beauty of the power of the word of God, too. I mean, it it exposes our hearts. It calls us to repentance. And you're going to read that. Go ahead. That's good. In verse 5, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, says this. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without, fear within, but God, who comforts the downcast, he comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, he had sent Titus to these people to see if they had responded to the letter. And here's what he says. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So Titus, right, had gone to these people, seen their repentance, and they had loved on Titus. And Titus comes back with a wonderful, glowing report. And here's what he says. He, as he told us of your longing... 
Longing for us is what he's talking about there. And you're mourning. Mourning for what? Mourning over the hurt they had caused. Mourning over their sin. Your zeal, right? Your zeal for me. That these people were zealous to be restored to Paul, right? They were zealous to be, um, to have that situation which they had um, exacerbated through their sinful behaviors, right? They, that, that separation, they wanted it. They had a zeal for restoration. That's right. They wanted it to be done with. So that I rejoice still more, verse 8. Even if I made you grieve, right, with my letter, and Paul knew when he wrote this letter that it was harsh, it was hard, it was to the point, and he was calling these people on the carpet for their behaviors. Yeah. And for a moment, because of his love for them, he says, I don't want to send this letter. I know it'll grieve them. He says, right? I wrote this to your shame, but you know that he was weeping. You know he was. He, he probably, there had to be tear-stained letters, right? Oh, most definitely. So he's writing this letter, and he says, for a moment, I knew I didn't want to write this because um, it would make you grieve. I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. For a moment I did. But I don't anymore. And let me tell you why. I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. Mm. Right? I, I, I did impose what should have been natural guilt and shame upon you for your sin. And for a moment, man, I didn't want to do that. Right? But looking back, I know what a joy it is, right? Because you felt the shame, you felt the guilt, and you turned away from that sin back to your Savior. Really, that's what he's saying here, isn't it? Yes. You felt a godly grief. And here's what he's saying. You know what? I, for a moment, I regretted it because I thought it would hurt you. But then I realized it wasn't me. If you were hurt at all, it wasn't because of me. God's the one who imposed the wounds. It wasn't I. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So that you suffered no loss through us. I didn't damage you. God damaged you. And he damaged you in such a way to restore you. That's right. And Isaiah teaches us and reminds us that God, he, although he wounds, he also mends and heals. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, that's so good. We were talking about beforehand, um, Jason and I were talking about knee damage and everything. One of the reasons that Jason was talking about something he did this weekend that caused pain in his knee, that pain is there to tell him something's wrong. Yeah. Mm. And the pain that when he instituted shame and guilt back upon them in his letter, that was to inform them something's wrong. That's right. Guilt yeah. and shame is right in God's uh, uh, economy, right? Right. It is right because it tells us there's something wrong. So he goes on. For godly grief, verse 10, produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And, and that without regret, I, I'm, I'm reminded of Psalm 51 where, where David is, is, is writing this song of repentance, right? And he's talking about his broken hearts, a broken heart. And at one point he says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Yes. Right? You have busted me up. You have crushed me under the weight of my sin with my guilt and my shame. And I praise the Lord for every wound. Let them yeah. rejoice because what if I have but a restored relationship to God because of it, right? That's what he's saying here. Right. He's saying godly grief produces a, a salvation that doesn't regret, doesn't go back and say, I wish I didn't have those wounds, but looks back and says, I'm so grateful for the shame, the guilt, the wound, everything that was imposed upon me right. by God, by my loved one, by my friend, everything that was imposed upon me because it turned me back to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. This is the point. 
Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, here's what he's doing. He's saying that there's two kinds of grief here. One is is produced by world. It's unhealthy. It's not good. One is, um, uh, it, it probably is the result of our sin, right? But um, it's a godly, I mean, a worldly sorrow. It's a worldly grief. And ultimately, it, and, and it leads to death. We see this as a prime example in Judas Iscariot. Judas was a lost man who felt shame from his sin. But he didn't rightly harness it and turn in repentance. What he did is he went out and killed himself. Right. That is uh, not a godly sorrow. That is a worldly sorrow. Sometimes lost people, sometimes um, unbelievers feel the shame of their sins. But instead of turning to Christ, they turn to um, solve that in some ungodly, unhealthy way. Right. That's the point I was trying to make earlier. Yes. That this this false guilt that we um, have or this worldly guilt, uh, put it this way, uh, that would uh, cause us then to go to extremes to try to deal with it right. as, in, in, in a negative way rather right. than a helpful way. Yeah. And, um, of course, the, the dichotomy there is that there's a godly. There is, and we yeah. see that example in Peter. Mm-hmm. And I say this, think about this for a moment. Peter, Peter has um, sinned. He has betrayed, actually he's done the very same thing Judas did. Yes. He betrayed Jesus Christ. He betrays him three times. The rooster crows. Jesus turns his eyes upon him and Peter goes away and weeps bitterly. But do you remember that that before this ever happens, Jesus has said to Peter in, in Luke 22, I think it is, he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, Right? You are fisting to be challenged, Peter. Mm -hmm. But I have prayed for you. We have the intercessory work of Christ there, right? But I have prayed for you. And when you turn again, there's repentance. When you turn again, go back and strengthen your brothers, right? So he's already told him, this is what's going to happen. You will endure because of the intercessory work. Because of my work, you're going to endure. And when you repent, and when you repent, go. We see there... Repentance unto life in Peter. That's right. That is a godly grief, a godly sorrow. God imposed wounds that that served for Peter's good. And those are the distinctions between yeah, those Yeah, and things. as believers, sometimes we think that guilt is something to avoid. But actually, what the point that Philip is trying to make in Jason and Paul here to the letter of, uh, second letter to the Corinthians is that for believers, this guilt, um, which is a recognition ultimately, of our falling short of the glory of God in some form or fashion, right? The, the law of God, the commands of God. Oh, our, our consciences, um, our consciences um, condemn us, right? As Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, um, for all men. And the distinction that, I'm, that helps me is that godly grief brings a man to repentance, but worldly grief is only um, remorseful. A couple of R's there. We're only remorseful for the consequences that are involved. And it's, a, it's still a self-centered grief that does not bring about repentance. It's only when we view or when we see the holiness and the beauty, and the majesty of God, that we lose ourselves, right? We, we, um, we die to ourselves in the sense of repentance. Um, but, but the worldly grief is still focused on me. 
and how this is going to affect me and the consequences thereafter. Is that helpful? Yeah, to instead through? of uh, on who I've offended. That's right. right, right. That's right. And you know what? I was just thinking as you were talking about this, grief is like a horse. Uh, bear with me for a moment. If, if it's harnessed, it'll lead you where it should. Mm. If you're sitting on that horse and it's not harnessed and not bridled, it'll mm. take you where it wants to go. Mm. And there's a sense in which grief, rightly harnessed, leads to repentance. Grief. The horse knows where it's his way home. Right? Yes, but in grief. <laughs> but if you get on that horse and you have no way of of, of harnessing yeah. its power, yeah. it'll lead you straight to death. Yeah. Right. A wild horse is the dangerous horse, but a horse that's harnessed is is a tame and wonderful tool. Mm. And grief, rightly understood and rightly worked as a tool, a grace given by God to run us and lead us and drive us to repentance. Right. And there's a sense in which that, that may be an illustration that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. This really leans into the work of the Holy Spirit mm. as we uh, think about all the different works of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, convicting of sin in regard to righteousness and judgment and um, the way that the Holy Spirit uh, works within the believer to bring to bear the Word of God and to bring right conviction and change that would uh, continue the, the spiritual growth that should be happening in a healthy believer. Right. So. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to um, as you said that, it's a wonderful place. And we, we want to kind of wrap this, this episode up in a few minutes. Uh, but Jesus speaks to the disciples in John chapter 16. He says, I did not say these things, starting in verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Mm -hmm. Concerning sin, because they do not believe uh, sorry, uh, be because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he does, his role is to bring about conviction so that we will run after Christ, right? Right. Well, in, it's in modern evangelicalism and in, in our in, we've really taken a cue from the world in this right and what we've done is we've really uh, uh, vacated that particular role of the holy spirit you know we want the holy spirit to give us spiritual gifts we want well, there's a lot of things we want in the holy spirit but we just don't want him convicting us of sins right and we've decided holy spirit we know better than you exactly what your job should be here and um and so we have we've just kind of said listen um Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, what well, we kind of do, we've 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 said, Holy Spirit, your we love. want you, <laughs> but here's where um, the parameters. That's in which right. You can work. We're going to yeah. determine the parameters you can Listen, work. You've in. been awful yeah. busy, Holy Spirit, and we're going to lighten your load a little. That's bit. right. That's uh, right. Guilt and shame is no longer yeah. a category in which you get uh, that we want you to function and and uh, well, and, and that we we could kind of bring into just to you know not to chase a rabbit, but that that's where a lot of our. Um, uh, modern evangelicalism is antinomian. We say we don't need the Holy Spirit because we don't need conviction of sin because we're saved and we're good yeah. to go. We're not there's, constrained by any laws, no, so why would there no, be guilt? Yeah. That's right. And Paul says, so now that you're saved and you're in Christ, should we just go on sinning because grace, so that grace can abound? Right. And Paul says vehemently, no way. Yeah. You've, you're... you're <laughs> 
you're almost um, proving that you're not in Christ by saying that yeah. claim. Because right. if you were in Christ, you would desire to be like Christ, yeah. which would be to follow how he is delineated how we are to live. Well, right? and you recognize that salvific grace is not an abandonment of the law, but a, a driving back to exactly. with now the potential and the capacity, a love for it and yes. a capacity to obey it. That's yes. exactly what I read in Ezekiel 36 earlier. Yes. The work of the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Says now you're going to have a new love for my law and a new capacity to obey. Right? That's right. And a guilt, a natural God-given guilt for the sins that remain and the corruption that remains in you. That's right. And that's really the three promises he makes in that text. But we always, we never get to that last one. We often skip it, right? And the fact of the matter is, is yeah, the Holy Spirit's one of his primary jobs is to convict us yeah. of sin. Yeah, and I've thought about it in this way, in this category, is that the law of God is, there is no grace in the law of God. But the law of God is a gracious gift yes. to us. And he says that in 1 John. Did you yes. know? I mean, yes. not 1 John. In, Ch- in John chapter 1 in the pro- mm-hmm. prologue, in, in the verse prologue, 14, That's he right. actually says um, that the law came through Moses and grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And we often pit those things as if, That's okay, right. we have the law versus grace. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the initial act of grace was the law that was given through Moses. And then we have a super abounding and super abiding and a wave after wave after wave do we see through Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So the the law was just the first act of grace given to you, right? Mm-hmm. And then every every wave after that was a bigger and uh, broader and and more expansive wave that we see in Christ Jesus. And so it's not a, an op, the the law and, and grace are not opposed to each other. Uh, they are are they one and the same thing. And yet, but one is just the initial part of the the yeah. continuing grace. Yeah, that we I see. would I would say that. Those distinctions, I, I know what you mean by that. I, th- I think I would word that a little differently. But sure. we have to remember that the law was given to point us to, to himself. And that right? makes it It grace. was given by God, and that's a gr- it was a gracious gift to, uh, to humanity, right? Um, well, we, we could chase uh, quite a few more rabbits on this particular episode. But listener, we hope that this has been at some, at some level helpful for you. Um, and that's it for today's episode. As we wrap up this kind of two-part series... Um, a little bit. So thank you once again for taking time to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We sure hope it's been a blessing to you. Don't forget to like the podcast on whatever podcast catcher you have. Share this podcast on social media with a friend or family member. And don't forget one final thing, that if any of our episodes spark questions in your mind or something else, and you'd like us to potentially answer or address a question on an episode at a future date, Go to our website, bbcemory.org. Go to the media tab, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and you'll find a box where you can submit a question to us to consider. So until next time, grace and peace be with you all.